0: In this episode, there's mention of suicide. If this topic makes you anxious, it causes distress, or if you have children with you, it might not be for you. Um, if anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe, or you could always call Lifeline on one 300 or Beyond Blue on 1-300-224-636. Before we begin, We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger. Today we're thinking about the essence of what makes a safe and qualified doctor. What are those key characteristics which, if any of them, relate to a doctor's physical abilities? You and I may not have thought about these issues much, but luckily my two guests today have. My first guest is Dr. Dinesh Palapana. Dinesh is an Australian doctor, lawyer, and disability advocate with a very unique and relevant story. He's also Queenslander of the Year for 2021. Welcome, Dinesh.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: My second guest is Dr. Susan O'Dwyer. Susan is a practitioner member on the Medical Board of Australia and a medical administrator in Queensland. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Susan. Apologies to our listeners for the doubling up on Susans today, but hopefully we'll make it clear who's who. So Dinesh, we might start with you. Can you tell us a bit about your story and what made you want to be a doctor?
1: I uh, never grew up wanting to be a doctor. Uh, So when I finished school, I studied law and when I was studying law, I experienced depression and it was quite significant. And I also experienced anxiety and panic disorder and it got so bad to the point where I was agoraphobic, so afraid to go outside the house for a period of time. And this was in my early twenties. And through that time, I it was probably one of the darkest periods of my life and I interacted a lot with doctors and the healthcare system, but also had the opportunity to think about my own life and what's valuable to me. So through all that, um, I came to this realization that I really want to work with people and I want to do something with people more directly. And my mum. uh, I always quote my mum, who quotes this saying that by helping one person you might not change the world but you'll change the world for them and that's how i felt after i got through this period when i made it out of the depression i felt that the world has changed for me so um that really motivated me to uh find something find some meaning in my life and i found that in medicine as soon as i decided to pursue a career in medicine i was Uh, motivated and I just found meaning and purpose and uh, that's how I ended up in medical school in I started in 2008
0: and then something happened that had an enormous impact on the direction of your life
1: yeah it was a significant impact I was just over halfway through medical school and I was driving along uh, the gateway motorway in Brisbane one night It was raining intermittently through the day and uh, my car aquaplaned, or it it hit a patch of oil or something. We don't know. There was something on the road that night um, because a fire truck that came to the scene first also hit whatever that was and lost control. But they didn't crash, fortunately. My car rolled and rolled and rolled. And when it landed, I couldn't move and I couldn't use my fingers. I couldn't feel anything below the chest. So... I knew the worst had happened and that I'd got a spinal cord injury.
0: And can you tell us about what that um, turned out to be in terms of its long-term impact on you physically?
1: Before I had the injury, um, I had no idea about what life is like for someone with a spinal cord injury or a disability because we see the paralysis, we see the physical paralysis, we see a wheelchair. We think, wow, that's a, that's a pretty big problem. Um, and you may even think a little bit more about it, like how, how would this person get into a bed or a car or a shower or whatever. So we might think a bit deeper than that, but actually the problem is far, far deeper physically. Um, the skin doesn't work properly. The lungs don't work properly. The cardiovascular system doesn't work properly. They, all these systems are disrupted. COVID-19 was a really good reminder of that because my lung function's Uh, compromised and people with spinal cord injuries were at at high risk probably from COVID-19 so um, there's all those other physical things that we don't see but there's also the social uh, effects and those are significant it has a rippling effect on family relationships finances uh, education and employment and we went through the lot my family fell apart, we had to sell the house. and It destroys all aspects of your life. Um, and I learned that very quickly.
0: And I presume it also had an impact on your motivation or your thinking about the future. Did you think it would still be possible to become a doctor?
1: I didn't know, but I, I never lost the dream of wanting to be a doctor. Um, even in the ambulance on my way from the accident site to the hospital, there was a doctor, uh, in it who actually lectured me once. And I was talking to him him about medical school in the ambulance. I mean, I talked to him about my family and everything else, but it's like, how am I going to get back to medical school? So that I, I thought about it every single day. Um, but I didn't know how.
0: Then what was involved for you um, in trying to become a doctor?
1: There's a long uh, set of conversations with the medical school and, uh, of course, getting my life back together into a position where I could do it. Um, And that's making sure that I have the support at home and um, the support while I'm at medical school to function. and actually even things like picking out the safest pair of shoes so um, my my feet don't get injured through the long days. But outside of all that, it involved a set of discussions with the medical school about how we would approach it, coming up with a plan, and um, then going into it. And one of the first steps that we did was actually to meet um, with someone from APRA and say, um, I'm coming back to medical school and these are my circumstances and getting the okay to do that. And then I spent weeks and weeks and weeks in a clinical skills lab with a doctor and a simulated patient. And we figured out how I would do all the different things that I needed to do, like examining a patient certain procedures um, where I need help. Um, and when we did all that, and then after that, I met with all the different supervisors um, from different specialties to talk about how I would approach that. So it was a fairly uh, lengthy and detailed process, um, which took months. Um, but that that that's what we did to start things off.
0: So. I want to bring in Susan O'Dwyer now. We're interested to understand what was the role then of the medical board in the, each of these steps for Dinesh, both, I suppose, in medical school, but also after finishing medical school. How was the board involved? Oh,
2: thanks, Susan. So the medical board of Australia is the only body in Australia that can register somebody to be a medical doctor to practice in the country. And we do that through registration committees, which we have established in each state and territory. Obviously, key to becoming a registered medical practitioner is holding an approved qualification, such as a medical degree from an Australian or New Zealand uh, university. Dinesh was undertaking an accredited medical degree in accordance with the standards of the Medical Board of Australia. So that was his work to do. And he progressed through that. And he then secured his medical degree. And then so the medical board comes into play when he comes to us with his medical degree and says, I want to be registered now to practice as an intern. But I was very interested in uh, Dinesh's case. I'd been on the medical board for almost four years, I think at that time, and three years chairing the registration committee. And just before I took over chair of the medical board. So I'd seen through my time there, um, it's not an insignificant number of doctors come to the board who'd suffered quite significant trauma or head injuries and that. And I'd seen how we would worked through with those doctors to return them to the workplace, and so, and in my work as a medical administrator, I'd also seen doctors who suffered, you know, some catastrophic injury and that sort of stuff and had returned to the workplace. So, uh, you know, it seemed to me that there was no reason why somebody who was presenting um, upfront with the medical degree, but, you know, with the injury and, and the disability, why there was no reason why we couldn't work through something to register them as well. So we, um, somebody from our registration committee, one of our practitioner members met with Dinesh And it's fair to say Dinesh had um, great support from his medical school and certainly had outstanding references you know there wasn't anybody who had a bad word to say about his um you know his cognition or his dedication and commitment to the profession you know and um, his professionalism and ethics which we think are pretty important obviously for doctors And then so I started thinking about, well, how do we go about this? And I actually, luckily being a national scheme, I was able to go to the registration manager and say, can you go and look around Australia and see where we have other doctors who might be in wheelchairs or have significant injury and how we dealt with them. And luckily, we came up with a couple of other cases, which um, Dinesh is familiar with. And I used them sort of as a template and said, well, then given we can do this, what can we do to support uh, Dinesh? at through an internship and protect the public at the same time. So how do we use the law, the national law to do that. And so it was an interesting exercise and we worked through it as a registration committee and we came up with a set of conditions um, that we thought were uh, suitable for Dinesh for the internship. Um, that were workable, and they—they, they, I don't think they were particularly onerous conditions to Nesh, but they involved things like supervision, which all interns have. But they also involved an assessment in each new workplace. It did so interns change jobs every ten to twelve weeks, so they're moving, they're different. Physical environment all the time, and even when you're in one job for ten to twelve weeks, we're all over the hospital all the time. So it was really important for us to have, you know, um, and I think an occupational therapist on site in the hospital ended up doing this for Dinesh, doing those assessments, you know, you know, his ability to move around the ward doorways, all of that sort of stuff, and that was done every time. So then we had those assessments, we put them in place, usual supervisor reports against the outcome standards for interns. And then as a registration committee, I decided we would take it to the full medical board in Queensland and said, look, we want to bring this here because we think this is a really interesting case. This will obviously attract a lot of interest and a lot of attention, but uh, we're pretty comfortable and confident that this is the right thing to do. This is going to be uh, good for the patients. We can't see any reason uh, not to register at Dinesh. And luckily, the whole medical board in Queensland agreed. And there we started off and Dinesh commenced his internship at the Gold Coast Hospital.
0: I wonder what that experience was like for you, Dinesh, going through. Was it um, quite stressful having finished medical school and wondering, you know, whether you would be able to be registered as a doctor?
1: Well, not really, because my interactions with um, APRA were always really respectful and professional. There's a big level of transparency about it, and it was very logical, I felt, so um i always felt that i was treated with respect um and even thinking about things like um considering uh precedence i know um susan was saying that they looked at uh whether there have been other doctors around australia and what those precedents are um it, see that's that's a great thing because i talked to employers about that and i pointed out some precedents And they said that that didn't matter. So to be following that kind of logical process um, and a timely process as well, I thought it 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 was actually the easiest part of the journey.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of Taking Care. If you'd like to hear more, why not try another one of our episodes, such as Let's Meet the Decision Makers. In that episode, you can hear more about what it's like to be a board member. Jen Morris underscores the importance of having diversity and people of different backgrounds on our boards. So, have a listen. It's very important to make sure that we balance having on the board people who understand the culture and practices and norms within the professions absolutely that's that's fundamental but it's also important to make sure we have people that as community members are just a little way outside of that particular culture or that particular subgroup just so they can ask pertinent questions you know and and challenge assumptions and and challenge status close and one of the great things that not only myself but other community members on my board and other boards really um take very seriously as as part of our job back to this episode Susan, I'd be interested to know how how the public fits into it in terms of their expectations, what they want or um, expect or what they see as the essential characteristics and skills to be a good doctor or be a safe doctor.
2: So the primary function of the Medical Board and its committees is protection of the public, and we do that by ensuring that we have safe and professional health practitioners who go through that registration process. The essential characteristics and skills of being a good doctor first and foremost communication so verbal non-verbal and written communication you just cannot overstate the importance of being a proficient communicator um, and how important that is to the practice of medicine the other thing that's important is cognition so critical thinking and problem solving skills and then we'd say teamwork professionalism and um, self-care and insight so looking after themselves and their behavior and then i think What the public wants from a doctor with those characteristics and skills is that the doctor puts those essential skills and characteristics into the practice of caring for them. So good communication for the public means that they have a trusting relationship with their practitioner, that they feel confident and informed about their healthcare, um, and they feel like a partner in their decision-making. I think the public definitely expects doctors to have uh, knowledge and expertise in their clinical area And to know the limits of their knowledge and their clinical expertise and to refer patients on to more appropriate care providers. The public expects doctors to use their knowledge of teams in healthcare, healthcare teams and the importance of other health practitioners. And they expect them to be respectful and knowledgeable about other team members' roles and are able to navigate for patients what is sometimes a very complex healthcare system. Mm. So,
0: so how do you think having a disability, for example, the disability that Dinesh has, how how did, do you think that that might be seen as a potential risk factor for a doctor?
2: Yeah, so... So, I mean, I would just say it's not uncommon in doctors' lives, as in anybody's lives, to suffer injury or illness that might lead to a disability. You know, that happens to people who have undergone a medical degree and have been practising medicine for quite a period of time. And I've certainly seen this in my time in the workplace and also on the medical board. And I think the major impact for a doctor with a disability or impairment is the inability to perform all of what is usually thought to be the usual functions of a doctor due to their physical disability or other disability, and I think it's really important to note that it's not only doctors with visually recognisable disabilities, but also those that have disabilities that aren't obvious uh, to the naked eye that may have limitations. So, But the key to this is managing the disability or impairment. So the doctor themselves must know and understand their limitations and only work in a manner that's conducive to staying within the limits of their abilities. And this obviously requires a supportive and understanding workplace. Um, but this allows them then to practice with um, confidence and the support of the board through keeping the public protected.
1: Susan said that uh, doctors should know their limits as well. And that's been one of the big things for me is um, no, knowing my physical limits. Like I'm not going to attempt neurosurgery or anything outside my physical limitations, but there's a lot that I can safely do as well. Um, but I think for any doctor, that's an important thing to practice within their limitations. I, w- I was just thinking back to the conditions that I had as an intern, and they were they were actually very reasonable, but they also allowed us to think a bit more and um, have checkpoints along the way about how things are going and develop our approach a bit better. Um, so I think the the conditions, particularly during my intern year, were, were pretty helpful, just to make sure that we have a measured um, progression. Um, I, I find that I found that quite useful, actually.
2: It's really pleasing to hear Dinesh say that, and I suppose the other thing I would say is, um, you know, and. I'm loath to bring up mandatory reporting. And I'm, I'm loath to bring up, you know, that because it's such a great concern to a lot of our doctors who have impairments or have an illness or injury. Susan, can you just briefly um, explain what mandatory reporting is? Yeah, so mandatory reporting is the obligation to report um, somebody to the medical board, either a treating practitioner or an employer, to report a registered health practitioner who they believe is putting the public at risk, you know. And so a lot of doctors think that having any impairment or any illness will result in them being mandatory reported and will mean they won't be able to work or their registration will be taken away from them and that. And in my experience and those cases that have come to the board, we're mostly able to work with practitioners through whatever period of illness or injury they've got to get them back to the workplace. You know, it is a partnership and conditions can help, as Dinesh said, help the doctor. Back into that workplace safely and comfortably and supported. Um, they obviously help the patients then as well, and they protect the public. And so, I think um, you know, it, um, people should not be afraid to engage with the medical board and with APRA when they have illness or injury, because you know we're there to protect the public, but we're there to do it in a way um, that is supportive of practitioners as well. And the medical board, as you know supports the doctor's health programs in in across Australia as well because it's really important to us the health and well-being of our practitioner workforce.
1: I've come across so many colleagues that have um, struggled with mental health issues over the last now it's my fifth year now as a doctor and um, some of them have been so significant um, and so uh, so challenging and we know that over the last few years in particular there's just been so many notable incidents where um, our colleagues have lost their lives but I think it's really um, one of the big misconceptions is that if I seek help for this I will lose my registration or I'm not going to be able to practice medicine anymore but I think that that misconception does Need to be um, need to be dealt with um, because it it can be a stressful job, and life does happen, and you need to be able to seek help freely when that does happen.
0: Absolutely, thank you for that. That's really a very important point. Now I'm sure, Dinesh that you would um, have some really unique perspectives and probably unique qualities that you bring because of your significant healthcare experience and and the disability. Um, Can you talk about that?
1: I often think back to how I felt as a patient when I was going through all these experiences. And um, I spent about, it was either somewhere between seven to eight months in hospital initially. And that was going through the intensive care unit, and orthopedics and rehab. And then subsequently with some complications of the injury, I probably spent a cumulative three to four months in hospital again over the next couple of years. And I just remember how disempowered I felt often. And I remember how um, disconnected I felt from, from the process. And sometimes people would come and do a ward round, not even talk to me and then wander off um so all those things really anchor my the way i practice now because when a patient is distressed or upset um i think back to the way i felt and then and then i approach them uh and we'll find that most of my interactions have been really really pleasant and nice because of it um and i think it's really important to Um, You know, patient-centered care is a phrase that we throw around a lot these days, but that is actually important because we are there for the patients and people are our business. And autonomy um, is something that we value as an ethical concept. So um, if you think about all those things, we really need to put the patient first, but that often gets forgotten. So um, those are some of the things that I carry with me today um, in practice, and my experience as a patient has really... I, I'm, I'm thankful for it.
0: Do, do you believe you're ever treated differently by your patients or by colleagues as a result of, uh, of your circumstances?
1: Patients, no, never. And that surprised even me, because one of the comments from a supervisor when I came back to medical school, not directly to me, but to someone else who was um, dealing with me, was that would patients take him seriously and what would they think? Um, And they had a negative negative way of thinking about that, but every single patient that I've ever dealt with, and that that surprises with me, has been uh, positive or it hasn't been an issue, the wheelchair. Um, I mean, I don't know if they thought anything differently in their mind, but uh, my interaction with them have been, just just great and sometimes i wonder i want i mean they must but i wonder if they even notice that i'm i use a wheelchair but um there have also been some really positive things that have uh come out of it as well where people have said things like um i know that you'd understand what i'm going through Um, i know that you would realize some of the complexities of this so when people come into the ed with various disabilities i'm sort of able to think about it a bit differently as well um, so that's, that's been a great thing.
0: Can I ask, what about um, colleagues? How, how have they responded to you?
1: Colleagues at my level and colleagues in the emergency department have been great. And there have been colleagues, you know, a, a lot of colleagues around the place have been really good. There have been a few isolated senior colleagues in different departments that have been um, challenging, I suppose. Um, and that's to be, I guess that was... I expected that at some point, but um, so that, that, that was a little bit saddening, but um, I didn't really let it stop me. And I also, actually, also once um, had a, in my intern year, um, or the year after, actually, um, I remember getting a call from the director of clinical training in our hospital after hours, just randomly. Um, about my future and what I do in medicine and that is said I think you should um, leave the clinical medicine to people that are physically able to do it um, so you don't take that place away from them and think about doing something non-clinical so um, I heard comments like that every now and again Uh, it was rare but they stick in your memory so that, that, that was, but you just keep going.
0: Do you have any um, interesting anecdotes or, or positive experiences that you want to share with us of pa- patient interactions?
1: Yeah, you know, the thing that I realized is um, it's not always the technical skill that's the special part that you remember. It's those conversations that you might have or um, it's just those connections that you have where you can guide someone through a difficult period. Um, and I'm going to say, um, my mom, she's, she's been a huge part of my journey and she's been there for me since I had the accident. She's been there every day and she's still there. Um, even though the rest of my family broke apart, but I often see moms with their kids coming to the ED, um, whether they might be adult kids or little kids and they might have a chronic disease or a chronic issue. And um, just by telling them what me and my mum went through, um, I've just had some really um, nice interactions because, um, you know, they understand then that it's not, uh, it's not an isolated thing and it's common. And, um, but that, that, that's always something I, I see. Um, and th- there's been some really nice moments out of that.
0: Susan, I just want to throw back to you for a second and ask um, whether you think that the regulatory requirements, the, the regulatory um, guidelines that that you look at, the things you consider, the criteria, are they appropriately flexible to ensure that we end up with not only a safe, but a um, a diverse workforce with which represents the population and someone like Dinesh?
2: I think they are. I think Dinesh is evidence that there is enough um, flexibility and scope within the national law and the registration standards and the standards for the profession that have been established to allow a diverse workforce. And I think we have um, a diverse workforce in, in not as diverse as we would like obviously and certainly not representative of the population but I, I think it is getting there. Um, the law enabled us thinking and working with you know people who are interested to make the law, law work for Dinesh you know and we wanted to do that and we were able to do that so I think you've got to have a will to want it to work you know, and to want to make it flexible and um, you know and be innovative and do those sorts of things and um, and it's paid off and so whilst you know Dinesh, started work with conditions on his uh, registration um Dinesh no longer has conditions on his registration and I think it's a testament that people with impairments whether they be physical disabilities or other disabilities you know when they return to work will often come in and we have to put conditions on and those conditions might relate to the hours of work somebody does whether they need supervision limiting the areas of work that they can do in but over time when that person with a disability can demonstrate proficiency and understanding of their own limitations, their condition is well managed, um, and they have a supportive workplace, they don't need to have conditions on their registration anymore, you know, um, I think that insight and that reflection that Dinesh has talked about, and he's reflected considerably on what he can do and how it works in his workplace enables the public to be safe, enables the medical board to be assured and enables his work colleagues and his patients to be safe as well. And that's ultimately what we're looking for and trying to do. And I think the national law is flexible enough to allow us to do that. Well, I think this conversation has
0: zeroed in on what we want and need in a safe and qualified doctor. And that having a disability doesn't necessarily prevent someone from being that kind of doctor. I think for me, it's also been... It's also been a good reminder of the benefits of having a diverse practitioner population, one that has a, maybe a deep understanding of some of the challenges that their patients may face. So thank you to my guests, Dinesh Palapana and Susan O'Dwyer for your insights and your thoughtfulness, both of you. And, and Dinesh, thank you for sharing your personal story, which is both, it's both powerful and important.
2: Thank you, Susan.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, I am so happy to um, have had my career enabled and I wander around work every day thinking about how privileged I am to be doing this. So I remain very grateful for being enabled to do that.
0: Well, thank you both. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any feedback or questions, please email us at communications at opera.gov.au to hear more episodes of our podcast, please subscribe to Taking Care wherever you get your podcasts
2: and we'll see you next time.